Hi, my friends, and welcome to From Here to There. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing about the lives of many people throughout history and people alive today that God has worked through in order to bring increase and influence of His kingdom here on earth. But in this first series, I'm really looking forward to sharing with you my story, how God was able to take me from powerless to powerful and from the nest to the nations. I really believe that as you listen, God is going to give you keys to moving forward toward your God destiny. So let's get started with this week's message. Worship is one of the themes that has framed my life. From simple beginnings of personal renewal to seeing entire congregations transformed, I am convinced that we're living in the greatest outpouring of all time. It has been said that this last great move of God will come on the shoulders of sanctified men and women and on the wings of praise and worship. Join me today for my personal experiences as well as a short history of music and its role in worship and in revival. As I've been sharing my story, there are a couple of themes that stand out. They have formed the framework for my life as a Christian and as a minister. And these two themes are worship and being led by the Holy Spirit. So in these last episodes of my story, I'm going to elaborate on these two themes of my life, and I pray that they will frame yours also as you listen and learn. Scripture that comes to mind is Hebrews 11:3, which says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And most of us, when we read this, we think immediately of Genesis and when God said, let there be light, and he created with his word. And that is what this means, but God is still creating in the same way. In this scripture, we understand that the worlds were framed. The word worlds in the Greek is the word eons, and it literally means ages of time. So it doesn't mean the physical earth. It means ages of time upon the earth. And then it says they were framed in the New King James. And that word is katartizo, which means to make fully ready, to put in order, to fit, frame, mend, make perfect, to prepare, or to restore. And so the word of God comes to us in order for us to hear and obey. And as we obey and walk forward, we literally are shaping or framing our age of time. We're making history. We're creating what's taking place in our generation's time of influence here on planet Earth with our choices. So how does worship fit into this? And how did worship frame my life? Well, before I ever taught or went to the nations or even served in church, I began a life of worship. Now, worship could be defined scripturally and is defined, if you look the words up, by bowing toward, bowing down to, honoring, or submitting to the Lord. One person described it as worship or giving God the highest place or the highest worth in your life. We read about worship in Genesis 22, where Abraham was asked by the Lord to go up to the mountain and take Isaac, the son of promise, and sacrifice him, give him, dedicate him to the Lord. And Genesis 22, 5 says, Abraham said to his young men, 
Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So here we see that Abraham worshiped God by obeying him. In his day, he needed a sacrifice, but now Jesus has become our eternal sacrifice. So we no longer have to bring animals or anything physical to sacrifice, but we do bring our lives before him, and we bring the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips, giving praise and thanks to him. I love the Passion Translation of Hebrews thirteen fifteen. So we no longer offer up a steady stream of blood sacrifices, but through Jesus, we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. These are the lambs we offer from our lips that celebrate his name. And so praise God, because of Jesus, we no longer have blood in the temple, (laughs) but we do literally give our life and our days to the Lord, not just a voice, but we do give a voice of praise and thanksgiving to him. That is our New Testament sacrifice. So in the church, we call singing time worship, and so it should be. But worship is not a song. It's a fragrance of our lives. I love this passage in Revelation 5, 8 through 10. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So I love that. That's a picture, a heavenly picture of worship, the harps and incense, the prayer. And worship literally is considered the highest form of prayer. There are many types of prayer. And in our Bible school, we teach on the many ways we can pray. But worship is one of them. And worship we call the highest Because worship is the prayer where we're not asking God for anything. We're not working with God on anything. We're simply giving to God our praise and our thanksgiving. But Revelation 5, 9, it goes on to say, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So praise God, Jesus died to restore us to position as sons and daughters. And just as we humans delight in our children, God delights in us. And he longs to be with us, to communicate with us, to love us. You know, I'm of an age now where my children are grown. And it doesn't matter how old your children get, you just treasure those times of communion with them. Not so much, you know, sometimes I'll go and do something with my daughter and we'll run around and we'll do errands or the kids will be with her and that's fun. There's a lot of fellowship, but I truly can treasure those special times when it's just me and her and we can share together. And so, and I also, you know, appreciate that with each and every one of my grandchildren as well. So that's what God wants. He wants to spend time with us. And he has great good plans for us, but many people never see his plan because they don't get close enough to hear. In John 4, verse 23, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he said to her, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. The hour is coming, and now is, 
because of Jesus, we live now in a time where we can have face-to-face, heart-to-heart fellowship with God. That's what Jesus was talking about. In the old covenant, they had to approach with many rules and regulations and procedures and incense and sacrifice. But Jesus came to tear the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the people. So because of him, we can go right in and worship him heart to heart. And that's what he desires and has prepared for us. That's our life of worship, how it should be. So me learning to worship in spirit and truth began when I just would play my piano for him. Long before I taught my first Bible study, I was taking baby steps toward him just by being with him. And he spoke to me, as he always will when we draw near. I shared this earlier, I think, but I had dreams for my life. I pictured myself and my husband living in the country in a big house with cozy quilts on the beds. And I pictured myself picking berries, making jam with my grandchildren, taking the basket out and gathering eggs with them, teaching them about the garden. And I remember an early time of consecration when the Lord asked me if I'd be willing to give up my dreams for him. Now, when I say he asked, I mean it came as a thought to my mind. And it took me a few days to say yes to that thought, to say, yes, Lord, I would trust you with my future, and I'm willing to give up my dreams if you ask. I want you to understand and know that Father God is not a dream thief. Just like with Abraham, God wasn't stealing the promise away that God had given him. God wasn't stealing Isaac. God was testing and proving his relationship of trust and worship with Abraham. And there's more to it than that. God was preparing to give his only son for us and needed a covenant, a relationship with a man that where a man would give 100% and God would give 100%. So God needed a man who would believe him enough to make that kind of sacrifice. And, you know, my personal belief is that Abraham not only believed God, but that he actually had a revelation of a resurrection. I believe that God showed him the plan, the gospel. And so Abraham, it says, the lad and I will go up yonder and then return to you. I believe that Abraham believed that God wasn't going to steal his son, but that God, he could be trusted. And so God isn't a dream thief. He's a dream creator. He's the originator of dreams. And when we are willing to draw near enough to hear, and if we're willing to obey, he can begin shaping history through us. Listen, you are a changing point in history. I don't care what has gone before you. I don't care about the curses on the generations as it goes back in your life, things that you may have inherited by the behavior of your parents or your family life. All of that under the blood of Jesus can turn around. And so everybody before you, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, as that family tree goes back, It doesn't matter what they have brought to you. You can bring a change to the future generations by your choices. I love that picture. You have so much power to change the future by your choice. It says that God's plan is always bigger. (laughs) You know, God asked me to give up my dreams. He gave me back a way bigger dream. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. 
Let me read that again in the Amplified. Now to him who by, in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare to ask, think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. Wow, that really says it. But notice it says it's a consequence of his power at work in us. He wants to work in us toward his purpose. So knowing him is better than any worldly wisdom or might or wealth. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So he will make us wise. He'll make us strong. He will even make us rich as we learn to follow. He will lead us into his higher plan. So my early ministry in the church, besides leading Bible studies, was worship ministry. I was blessed that my pastor's wife was a worshiper and a prayer. And through the very difficult time in my life, toward the end of my husband's life, and after he went on to be with the Lord during this time, we would stay up till the late hours of the night practicing as a team. And I say practicing loosely. We weren't really practicing music. We were practicing his presence. We were worshiping. We were drawing near. And God will always touch you when you draw near. That's why I always say I never would have become a missionary or done anything I've done without first being a worshiper. And since those early days, it's always been my heart priority that people should worship the Lord, truly know him like I know him. And so there are different ministry gifts. And of course, you know, one of them is evangelist. I don't consider myself an evangelist, although I want to see people saved. The angels rejoice when one soul is saved, but I tend to rejoice more when a person yields their life to him. As the Lord showed me once, he said, saved people will go to heaven, but worshipers bring heaven to earth. And that's through their obedience. And so that's been the specifics of my call And I'm not comparing myself to anyone. See, it takes all of our gifts, all of our ministries to build the church. We all have parts. But my particular part has been in taking people into places of worship where they can encounter his presence and the purpose being that they can find their calling and learn to follow. In Matthew 16 is where we find Jesus asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter burst out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And so I love this. When Peter saw who Jesus really was, Jesus showed Peter who he was. His name was changed from Simon. And Jesus said, you will be called Peter. Peter was a little piece of rock, or we could say a living stone. And so it is when we see who Jesus is that we can truly begin to see his plan for us. I'm telling you, when groups of people enter his presence, heaven can open like a portal 
over that place and revelation of God and of his plans comes down in a downpour. I love those times. I have literally been in meetings where I felt like the top of my head was removed and I could just see what God sees, my heart. We were lifted up into his presence and we can see and understand things that he's doing. So I'm going to change lanes here a bit and talk about the current worship revival of which we are a part. Throughout history, when people worship, God comes. Psalm 22.3 says, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. The King James Version said he inhabits our praise. And the word literally means to sit down upon. So worship is fellowship with God. It's not music. But I like to call music transportation in the spirit. Did you ever notice how music can carry words into your heart, bypassing your brain? I mean, you find yourself singing words you didn't even know you knew. And this is why they put the word of God to music in the Old Testament in Psalms. It's easy to remember words when they're set to music. And this is why music becomes such an avenue for worship. So throughout history, music has been transportation for the church. Music taught doctrine before people could read the word of God. And the church writes and sings about what God is saying in their particular time. I believe that our singing and saying and believing what God is showing is literally bringing the will of God into our time and our generation. We're agreeing with him and we're agreeing with one another. You remember the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And in verse 6, the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. And so now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language that they might not understand one another's speech. And so every generation has had music for their time. Martin Luther composed... A mighty fortress is our God sometime between 1527 and 1529. This song, I don't know if you know it. If you've been in church, in a denominational church, you surely will know it. It's been translated into English at least 70 times and also into many other languages. And the words were a paraphrase of Psalm 46. A mighty fortress is our God. It's a beautiful hymn. And that was what God was teaching and doing in their day, that actually probably was a way to teach doctrine. Because in Martin Luther's time, the Bible wasn't translated into the common language of the people. So go into the 1700s, and we have John and Charles Wesley. They were brothers, and Charles Wesley's hymns illustrated his brother John's sermons. As the English leaders of the Methodist movement Charles wrote between 6,500 and 10,000 hymns. His works include Christ the Lord is Risen Today and the Carol Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's been said that the Wesley's conversion experience in 1738 had an impact on their doctrine, and especially doctrine concerning the power of the Holy Spirit. So after that time, you can see a change in his hymns, He wrote, and I quote, The Holy Ghost in part we know, for with us he resides. Our whole of good to him we owe, whom by his grace he guides. 
He doth our virtuous thoughts inspire, the evil he averts, and every seed of good desire he planted in our hearts. And so through Charles's hymns, he communicated doctrines of the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and of the person's personal accountability to God. This was what God was speaking and showing to the church in their generation. In the mid-1800s, William and Catherine Booth established the Salvation Army. And I love their story. Their story will be one for a future podcast. But their Salvation Army was modeled after the military. With It had its own flag and its own music. And so what they would do is march down the streets with their bands, and they would take popular songs of the day and put Christian words to them and sing in the streets and reach out to people They had great hearts of outreach. William said, My only hope for the permanent deliverance of mankind from misery, either in this world or the next, is the regeneration or remaking of the individual by the power of the Holy Ghost through Jesus Christ. Well, since worship is such a theme of my life, it seems like I had too much to say to fit into one podcast. So I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to pick up again next week. And next week we'll talk more about the outpouring of the early 1900s, as well as music and worship as a missionary in the nations and some of the things I've experienced. So let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for my friends, and I thank you for my life of worship. I pray, Lord, that as I've shared You have expanded their heart and their desire to spend more time with you and to know you, to know your heart, and to know your plans for them. I pray, Lord God, for they would purpose to have times set apart, like date nights with you, times that they can just spend personally with you, loving on you and letting you love on them. And I thank you, Lord, that you've made the way so easy, Jesus. By your blood, you have opened the way so it's not hard to come into your presence. I thank you that when we do come, you always touch us. You always speak to us. So teach us your ways, Father. Teach us how to enter boldly into your presence. I just speak a blessing on my friends. I ask you that they have a wonderful week and that you fill them with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and share this episode, and I look forward to sharing more with you next week. Thanks so much for joining me for this podcast today. I pray that you received something that will build you, move you forward in God's plan for your life. Well, I'm coming near to the end or the close of this first series on my story, and my plan is to follow with stories about others who have turned their dreams into deeds and changed history in their generation, those that we are building upon, but I want to make sure that you're aware of a short video course that I'll be launching soon on following the Holy Spirit. This is eight lessons that I filmed and designed in order to help you learn to know the voice of God and to know and follow how He leads. You can find out more by visiting our website at dunamisworld.org. That's D-U-N-A-M-I-S-W-O-R-L-D dot org. You can also find a giving link to partner with us on our work in the nations on our website. God richly bless you, my friends, today, and know that I'm praying for you.